You are listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Michael Rosenbaum. This is uh, one of those things where it's late in the day. <laughs> Ryan, it took Ryan forever to get here because traffic. His hair's a mess. My hair's a mess. Both of us didn't shower today. Showered it's, last night, did not shower today. Well, then I was uh, right. Yeah. So I You're correct. I, yes, I showered yesterday as well. I showered last night. So not like together. Water. We weren't together. No, we could try it though. But yeah, I have a walk-in, so we could. There's plenty of room. You do, and a bench if you want to sit yeah. while I lather up. <laughs> I, I got it. I mean, just to give you an idea of my close living quarters, I got a text from uh, my my building manager lives next door to me, and I, <laughs> and I got home uh, late last night because it was soccer night, and uh, I got a text from my building manager at 11:45 saying, "Hey, could you not slam your toilet seat down?" <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I would have said, buddy, mind your own shit. Mind your own shit. My thought was, okay, she was having a day. Like, obviously, this Could is Could you like, not slam your toilet seat down? I just heard it. For one second, it was loud. I, I mean, it's just- I Put don't an know egg what, in your shoe so and beat weird. it. Anyway. Uh, thank you for listening to the podcast. I know, again, you have a lot of podcasts to listen to. We've got a lot of great podcasts coming up, too. I've got some amazing guests. Um, every week, I learn something, and I know you will, too. We talk about mental health. We deep dive. I have real conversations with folks that you might not think are that real because they're celebrities or whatnot. But uh, I hope you're enjoying it. If you are enjoying it and you want to support the podcast even more, there's a thing called Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash inside of you. And you could join and you really help the podcast. My patrons, without the patrons, this podcast wouldn't exist, period. Just would not exist. Couldn't do it. So I want to thank them, all the patrons. Uh, if you're top tier patrons, you get things like shout outs in the beginning of the po- or beginning of, uh, end of the podcasts, all your name, uh, boxes sent from me with uh, by me for with little gifts and and notes, and uh, you get to ask questions to guests, and it's just there's a lot of great stuff on there. So go to Patreon.com/slash Inside of You support the podcast today. Um, I'll try to send you a message, and um, I will get around to that. And I thank you. You can also go to the Inside of You online store for great merch. We're talking uh, Smallville scripts signed and lunch boxes signed and tumblers from the podcast. And uh, I look, I have this little jacket, this Inside of You jacket. There's not many left, though. But um, also, I'm having another live podcast. That's right. Uh, I'm not going to announce it this second. I'm just telling you I'm having one. Uh, looks like it's going to be late January. So if you're in your Los, if you're in Los Angeles, it's going to be a it's an amazing guest. You are going to love this woman. She is fantastic, fantastic actress, and we're going to have a lot of fun at the live podcast. So you're going to have to get tickets once I tell you when and who and all that stuff. But shouldn't I be enough, Ryan? Shouldn't they want to just come to the podcast to see me? Probably not. It's yeah. okay. It's all right. I mean, you know, you'd think that. You think you are enough. That's what I always say. No, I don't. I say be good to yourself. I don't say you're enough. It's part of it. Maybe yeah. that'll be my noon one. It's implied. Hey, you're enough. It's implied. That's yeah. my, that, you know what's funny is that's that's a story of me. You're enough. Like just be enough. Mm-hmm. You're good enough. That's mm-hmm. it. You don't have to be great. Just be just be good enough. You're good enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're gonna get into our our guests soon. Um, also, you can go to my Instagram, which is at the Michael Rosenbaum, and my link tree shows any events coming up. My band Sunspin playing, sunspin.com, if you want to support the band. I think you'll really dig the music. We have two albums out now, working on a third. And uh, the Talkville podcast, 
talkvillepodcast.com. Tons of merch. There's these new pieces of art. There are only 50 available prints signed by me and Tom that you have to get because we're running low now. So if you want to get those, go to talkvillepodcast.com. And thanks for all your support. And, uh, yeah, the holidays are close here, Ryan. Mm-hmm. They're very close. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm They're, having Thanksgiving here. You won't be here. You'll be with your family. No, I will be. No, I'm coming here for Thanksgiving. Oh, you're coming here for Thanksgiving. Right. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm coming here specifically for Thanksgiving. I think that will be really nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's always fun. Yeah. I figured out I could make stuffing. Amanda wanted to bring stuffing. Make and stuffing. I, and I, I was like, what, wet bread? I, can, I guess that's what it is. It is wet, but no. Uh, Do they have gluten-free stuffing? Uh, this one will not be. Yeah. But, but it, I'll, I looked, I'll, I'll be all right. I looked up a good recipe, and I uh, we did a test run last weekend. And You did a test run? Did a test run. You guys are serious. Well, because I'm not, I, I wanted to, I didn't want to bring something in a tin. I wanted to be able to make it. I wanted to try it out. So I found a recipe and went to pavilions, got a lot of things. And, good uh, for you. It turned out well. I like that. It's going to, it's going to be good. I have a feeling it's going to be good. I, I wish other people would test their product before they bring it. <laughs> Some stuff isn't, no, most of the stuff is really good. I just supply the I don't turkeys. have a, sing, I, don't, I don't have a signature dish yet. So I wanted to make sure this was presentable. I just supply the house, the party, the, uh, turkeys, the mashed potatoes, things like that. I think that's a that's that's a uh, turkeys are a big part of Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm good enough. <laughs> uh, David Crumholtz is my guest today. You've seen him in so many things: the show Numbers. You've seen him in um, the big movie Oppenheimer, which he was brilliant. I, I had to immediately text him after and say, "Wow, wow." Uh, he talks about, I believe his thyroid. He talks about his weight gain. He talks about so many things and gets personal. And, uh, I, I, I love to hear what you think about this. Our handles are at inside of you podcast on Facebook and Instagram at inside of you pod on Twitter, where you can watch us on YouTube and listen to us everywhere. Write a review on Apple, write a review anywhere. It really helps the podcast and, uh, thanks for the support. Let's get inside of David. Crumholtz. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. You're, is that what it is? Your Achilles heel? I, I, I had the strangest experience with Aaron, Aaron Rodgers. I did the Tribeca Film Festival a few years ago, and uh, they asked me to be a juror for like the best documentary short category, and he was on my jury. And he didn't know why he was there, and I didn't know why he was there, but he was a totally nice guy. But you could see in his eyes that he'd been hit way too many times. <laughs> you can really tell when so- you can really tell oh, that it looked like he had. Uh, yes, he was. He looked. He's. He. There was a crazed maniac look in his eyes. Really, which I assume most football players who've been dinged up over time have. But I don't know how you don't get injured immediately on every play. The way they hit each other and the the, the muscle and the speed, right. and, and you know hockey and all these sports. I don't know how they do it, and then you know they retire. And I have friends that have retired that have you know had big injuries one of my friends pat lafontaine he was a star for the islanders and you know played for the rangers but he had like 11 concussions and took him out in fact he just designed this new helmet velour he sent me one 
to help prevent concussions. But like when I talked to him, I could see he's such a nice guy, such a sweet man and smart, but you can tell that he's been hit quite a few times. There's, there's just a, a look in his eye. That's just a little bit like I have been concussed. So I understand what you're saying. Yeah, he definitely, Aaron Rodgers definitely had that look. And, uh, do I have that he look? He's supposed to play ever again after like one concussion. David, do I have that look? Uh, I can't tell with the glasses on. The glasses make you look all right. Yeah, there it is. That's it. That's it. That's the look. I'm concussed. You, you've been you know, concussed? It's, and it's not a laughing matter. We're not joking about it, but it's just, I mean, we are, but we're not. Yeah. Um, have you, have you ever been injured or had a real, I mean, I know, look, I know we can get into it cause uh, we get personal and, and close here. Yeah. It helps a lot of people, but I mean, I know you had thyroid cancer. I had the cancer. Yes. I mean, is I, you know, when I hear the word thyroid and cancer, it just sounds like that's not a good cancer to have. You know, it's not a bad cancer to have. Uh, I mean, if you're going to you have know, cancer, it's super treatable. Um, if you catch it on time, the problem is if you don't catch it, if you don't know you have it, it can spread to your lungs pretty quickly. Um, I got crazy lucky. I got saved. Uh, I, I went to a masseuse. I went for a full relaxation massage. And at the end of the massage, she massaged my neck. And I was like, what is she doing? No one ever does that. Like in the front of my neck. And at the end of the massage, my full relaxation massage, she told me she felt a lump. And I was like, well, that's not relaxing. And then I <laughs> I didn't even think anything of it. And like three months later, I went to the my physical and my doctor was like, you know, he checked me up and down. And he was like, you know, at the end of the session, he was like, is there anything else you want to tell me? And I was like, you know, I went to this masseuse and she told me I had a lump on my neck. I don't know. And he felt my neck. And he was like, there's two, there's two lumps. And I was like, Oh shit. Um, he looked concerned. He looked, he looked concerned. Well, it was concerning at the time, as you can imagine. Um, but you know, it was so, it came after I had had a nervous breakdown that year, which all was because of the thyroid, like your thyroid stops functioning and you get crazy depressed and like, it really messes with your head. Um, so I, it, it kind of was like a relief. I was like, oh, that's why I've been freaking out is like, I've had, I'm not healthy. Like I'm not physically okay. And, um, and it was kind of like that year was so crazy that just being told I had cancer was like, well, of course I have cancer. In fact, I went, <laughs> went out, <laughs> I went out to dinner with John Hurwitz who created Cobra Kai and the Harold and Kumar movies yeah. and, and I told him, I said, you're not going to believe this, but I, I have cancer. And he said, of course you have cancer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess people just expect me to be sickly, but. um, That's <laughs> terrible. But, they were just, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was bad in the moment too. I didn't, I didn't think it was funny, but looking back it was. And, uh, and anyway, I caught it and it's super treatable and I'm still in contact. I found the masseuse. And I'm still in contact with her. I sent her a bunch of gifts. She saved my life. And uh, she didn't have to do that. And uh, a little bit of an angel there. And uh, But like, the, the problem is you lose your thyroid. They removed my whole thyroid, right? So I became super, um, super fat. Is that what happens <laughs> when you lose your thyroid? You, you get fat. I, I don't know how these things work. 
I'm severely hypothyroid. And what that means is like, I'm on the highest dose of the medicine that people take to replace their thyroid, which is called Synthroid. And uh, even with that dose, man, like I cannot eat without gaining like tremendous amounts of weight really wow. fast. Like my metabolism, I would say like slowed down by a hundred percent or more, Jesus. like literally like my, it, it just, uh, and so I gained, I ballooned, I swelled up, you know, it was like, I was swollen. It wasn't even fat. It was like, I was well, swollen. you look good now. I mean, so how do you lose weight if you have no thyroid and you're on these hypo, you're on these uh, drugs? Well, no one wants to admit this in Hollywood, but I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it right now. I, uh, Ozempic is amazing. <laughs> really? Dude, Ozempic rules, man. So I've you're on Ozempic. A... I always joke. I was like, who is on Ozempic? And some people I say. On... I've been on Ozempic for about six months or seven months. And uh, that's about it. That's about all you're supposed to take it for. So I'm at the end. And I've lost 44 pounds. Feel good. Easily? Um, you know, slowly, which is good. You know, like it's, it's, it's no more than two pounds a week. So I'm not like losing a ton of weight. I'm eating smaller meals. The only you know hard part about Ozempic is the way it works is that it essentially makes you nauseous, but slightly nauseous, but enough where you're halfway through a meal, you get nauseous and you don't want to eat anymore. You know, so you, you, you know, you're, you're only eating half meals, but that's good. You know, you're, you're eating smaller meals. That's what you're supposed to do. So it's good. And, and it has some drawbacks, but um, it's worked for me. And does the nausea would, go away quickly or does it just happen when you're eating and then it, it, it sort of dissipates or whatever after a while? Depends on if you panic, um, <laughs> you know, cause it's such a gnarly feeling. Um, but no, it, it doesn't last very long. It doesn't like, you know, a couple burps brings it up. I really? just wait for the, wait for the, for the burp. Yeah. How much weight, what was the height of your weight? Uh, two thirty. that make sense? The height of your weight? <laughs> the height of my weight. The weight of my height. Uh, 232 at five foot six, my, the average weight or the recommended weight for a person that's five foot six is 155. So 232, I was pretty overweight. Right. Now, being an actor and being in Hollywood and you, look, I think you're one of the, the best. I think you're you're tremendous. I think, you know, I, I, I we, we can get into that. No, but I just I really, really respect your work and even seeing like highlights of uh, Leopoldstadt. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, I am. You know, that you put on Instagram, I believe. Yeah, I put one. I was I was I was blown away. Thanks, I was man. like, he's English. He's he's this character. I haven't seen you play something like that. And, you know, you got a, a drama league award, get nominated for a drama league award for that. And I'm like, you know, I always thought you were a great actor, but I was like, oh, my gosh, look at this. He's on Broadway. He's fine. He's a Broadway. This is a fucking actor. Thank you, man. I, you know. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got Rocket Money. Okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. 
<laughs> my God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period, it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. You know, when you're 232 pounds, I'm sure people are kind of like on your Instagram or looking around going, God, this, that, guy got, that guy got fat. Yeah. So I wish I'd never been. Were you aware? Like, were you like, were you embarrassed by it? Or you were just like, do you, you are embarrassed by it. Yeah. Well, I wish I'd never been skinny, you know, or else, <laughs> cause then people wouldn't do that. But like when I did like numbers, for instance, like I was super skinny and then, you know, you get big later in life uh, for whatever reason, and, yeah. you know, and people, yeah, people are mean about it. Um, I don't know. Embarrassed, maybe. I, I was disappointed 
in myself and frustrated because it wasn't like I was overeating. It was just I was gaining weight regardless. And that was really tough. As an actor, like if I wasn't an actor, I guess I wouldn't care that much. Like it's unhealthy, but I wouldn't like have lot like tried to lose a lot of weight because you you're not like, in the limelight as much you're not like you know at all when you're not an actor you don't have to think yeah, about that new stuff. jersey fuck it i'm jersey skinny the 232 is third is you know jersey athletic but um <laughs> uh yeah as an actor it started to really bother me especially because it just felt like oh no like i'm not going to get up op- i'm going to lose opportunities and And then what happened was, you know, I got a lot of like opportunities to play chunky guys, but then there's always some like ribbing in all these scripts, you know, like, oh, the fat guy. And, you know, and it was like, wow, I guess that's, that's what I've got to do is, is just be the big guy suddenly. And, um, and I didn't like it. Yeah. So, so I've made concerted efforts to lose weight several times. Ozempic is the first time that I've done it in a healthy way. I'll say that. Why aren't they sponsoring you? You should be doing commercials for Ozempic. I'm ready. Would you do it if they were like, oh, Ozempic, you know? Because I've heard like a lot of actors in Hollywood are are doing that, but you have an an actual reason to be on this. You know, there's like, it it totally makes sense. Um, Yeah, that's. Was it hard for your personal life? I mean, was your did you think your wife was unattracted to you? Yes. Did she tell you? Yes. <laughs> she yes. did. Yeah. Well, look, she was like she she made the mistake one day because I was like, I feel so big and I I don't I I don't feel right and and she said so be big who cares be big and I thought well if she doesn't care then I'll just be big. But then I found out she did care. Um, and she's not a superficial person. She's not shallow. But, yeah, you know, you feel gr- I, like, you know, m- you know, yeah. When you're in, in intimate situations, you're like suffocating a person, you know, suddenly. <laughs> right. The lights are off. Potentially hurting someone, you know. Um, I, I keep the lights off anyway, and I'm not like, like you know. Heavy. I keep the lights on and i also keep my socks on do you every time that's very jewish of you it is yeah you know keeping the sock you don't keep your socks on do you uh i've taken them off a couple times but i like them on i don't know why does she like them on i mean take your socks off um yeah i probably should i probably should (laughs) are they black socks they're they're no they're they're white tube socks white tube socks so you're nude except for the white (laughs) <laughs> give you a nice little visual there i just see going to town in white tube socks 232 pounds <laughs> going to town with nothing but white tube socks but you know in a way in a way this is like you know de niro gains a whole bunch of weight to play a character all these actors right. do this you inadvertently gain all this weight to, right. to do this and you're able to play characters that you probably you wouldn't have played like yeah, the character yeah. in the movie that in the movie Oppenheimer, you play this physicist and he's, he's a heavy guy. Yes. He, the actual guy I played wasn't as heavy as me, but yes. Right. So, but, but I, I was, I thought you were brilliant 
And I well, like that you didn't look exactly like you used to look, that you looked yeah. more mature and you look like this guy that could be this guy. It yeah. just, it really just, I was like this, you belong with all these great actors. Like they belong with you. So that character. Yeah. I mean, would you have wanted to play it skinnier? Yeah. You would have. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I mean, I'm, I'm vain. I'm an actor, man. I'm vain. You know, I'm not going to lie. Um, I am too. You know, you know, you worry. It's just it comes with a whole bunch of worry of then people go, oh, well, that's what he does. You know, that's the thing is like they're always trying to like audiences and the industry alike want to know what they're getting because they want to feel like they're they know you, you know, and I have always with weight, without weight, with my hair, with whatever, I've always tried to switch it up because I don't find myself that interesting at all. Cause I know I'm not, I'm like kind of a boring person. And like, um, what you think you're I, a boring person. You can't uh, be a boring person. You're an actor. I'm, I'm not a boring person. I just don't find myself that interesting. I personally don't find myself that interesting. I'm probably a very interesting person, but I, I'm not interested anymore. I lost interest many years ago. And so for me, it's like, I just want to like switch it up and, and like surprise people. The surprise, then you get away with so much stuff when you can surprise people. I just thought, know? I just thought of a situation, you know, you're talking to your girlfriend. This is hypothetical, obviously, because you're married and you're like, look, this isn't going to work. And then she's like, why? Well, I've lost interest. She's like, what do you mean? I, in myself. I'm just in not myself. interested in myself anymore. <laughs> I, this isn't going to work. I have no interest in myself. I'm, I don't find yeah. myself interesting. Well, I do. Uh, yeah, that's tough shit. Yeah, but I don't, I don't trust you. I don't trust because you. How, I have trust issues be- and interest issues. Um, yeah. Gosh. Uh, you know, when you auditioned, and we can keep all this, when you auditioned for that fabulous director, did you yeah. did you meet in person or was it um on the uh I have a great audition story from it. So I had a, I had done a, two self tapes for it and then they said, "Okay, come on and and in and and do it f- for him for Chris Nolan face to face." And um I had met Chris a good 16 years prior. He was scouting for like the dark night, maybe, or yeah, I'm not sure. Or, or yeah, maybe the dark night. And he was scouting at uh, Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles center studios, which is where we shot numbers. And we were the only show. It was us and mad men. So it's, it's this huge lot downtown in the middle of downtown that no one really uses much except for like, Music videos come in for like two days or, you know, some commercial, some big commercial like LeBron James will come in for two days. They need a sound stage, So they go for it. There's all these sound stages and um, and Mad Men would be there for like three months. But we were there for like 10 months out of the year and all these movies would shoot there for a day. You know, they shoot. They literally you've seen it in half the movies. You've seen this sort of building that they use that that's there. That used to be the old like 76 Union SoCal gas building. Anyway, he was there and uh, and I was like, oh, shit, there's Chris Nolan. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I think you're great on that show. 
this was numbers. And I was like, whoa, crazy. And then you'd think, you know, the thing is your worst mind goes to, oh, well, he's there, you know, that person forgot about me or that person enjoyed that thing that I was in, but has no interest in ever working with me. But that was very nice to hear that. And so knowing I was going in for him face to face was not so intimidating. I was like, oh, I know that this guy enjoyed my work at one point. And so that wasn't intimidating. What was intimidating was I showed up and they were like, you're the only one here for this, oh. which is like, oh, it's yours to lose thing. And I'm That's sure you've been in That's that the situation. Worst. I'd rather go against people than be alone. Me too. And, and I thought I was showing up and, you know, I also like need the motivation. Like I walk in and there's another actor there. I'm like, I, I got, I, it's like all of a sudden I, this is not when I work with people, but when I audition against people, I'm like, oh, I got to, I'm in a championship fight and I got to knock this guy out. Yep. What can I, like, I know what, I feel like I know what he's going to do. So I got to do something different. So going in alone was a little scary. Um, Cause then you go, holy moly, like they really, I'm, this is, it's, it's mine to lose. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. And I went in and he gave me, I had two scenes. I hadn't, there was no script available. And I assumed that those two scenes were the whole part, you know, because <laughs> you don't assume you've been given anything more than that. Anyway, so I did the two scenes and he had me do it three times. And I tried to switch it up a little each time. And after the third time, he said, I want you to do it again. But this time, I want you to do it like you're driving home from this audition and thinking, I should have done it that way. Wow. Wow. And <laughs> luckily, and I came to know Chris is a very sarcastic and very funny person. Right. And But in the moment, I don't know that. And luckily, I played it off. You know, I, I actually laughed. I didn't get nervous. I kind of went, ha, 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 that's funny. And then I thought, and then I even said, like, my my drive home i'm gonna do it in the elevator um <laughs> did the thing left and was convinced i had ruined it like totally convinced i'd ruined it and you're driving and home on your way back from the audition i was supposed to drive home i was actually i was in la and i was supposed to drive back to my hotel i drove straight to a brewery <laughs> and just downed a bunch of beer just by myself in at on like a Tuesday on at two o'clock, it's just literally me at the brewery, just getting just drowning my sorrows and going, holy shit, I had one of the biggest opportunities I've ever had and I blew it. And um, I was about like three or four beers in, pretty rocked. Uh, and the plan was to just you know then sober up and drive home and just spend the whole day at the brewery. And uh, my agent called. And said, you got it <laughs> the same day. And I was plastered in the parking lot of this brewery. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Needless to say, I'm now 14 months clean and sober. 
I don't do that anymore. Nice. Uh, yeah, why not? Good but, for um, you. Thanks, man. But uh, but yeah, like uh, wait, wait. So yep. you you didn't know? You thought you had a couple scenes in this movie, and what's funny yeah. is I see you in the movie, and I'm like, oh, cool, he's in this, he's got something, and yeah, you're yeah. an integral part of the movie. So then I went and read the script. The next day I got called in and then they, they said, we're going to let you read the script uh, in the office. And then we're going to take it back from you. I was like, okay. And the script was p- printed on dark red paper. So you can't copy it or read I mean, it. It was, <laughs> it was that it was hard to read. Yeah. It was that secretive. And I'm reading it. And I'm like, Oh fuck man. There I am again. And whoa, shit. And it came, it dawned on me. Like he, Chris really believed in me. You know, you as an actor, you spend so much time going, you know, I don't know who believes in me. And if they do, I wish they would just show up right now. You know, I know. And then it happens. And that um, it made me super emotional. You know, he showed up after I read it. He wanted to talk to me about it. And I was just I had a shit eating grin on my face. You know, I was just like. And I just kept saying, thank you. I just kept saying like, thank, thank you. Thank you. Wow. Thanks. And the coolest thing is like, as they were promoting the movie, these last few months, I had a little secret, which was that I wasn't just in it. I was in it a good deal, you know? And then it was about like, do I suck in it? Like, I hope I don't suck in it. Did he, is he some, somebody who after take will go, Hey, Dave, that was great. That was great. No, no. So it's cut. Or let's do another one. Try it like this. Be a little bit more. Remember that? I told you that. No. Great. Do that. Okay, great. All right, good. Let's move on. Yeah. So he he works super fast. He shoots one camera at a time. Nothing more than one camera. He doesn't have a video village. He has a small hand monitor. And he was watching my close-ups on like a hand monitor. And he wasn't happy with like stuff. The first uh, scene we did my stuff was basically shot chronologically. And the first scene we did is the scene on the train. It's a pretty intimate scene with me and Killian Murphy. And uh, and Chris was like, uh, I, he made me do 14 takes of my close-up. And this is a guy that does like three takes, typically. And this is your first sh- scene my you're shooting. Day. Now, first were day. you thinking about, oh, my God, everybody's looking at me. Killian Murphy uh, thinks I'm terrible. I'm bombing. I'm going to get fired. Yeah. Yes, All 100%. these things you're thinking of, you're obsessing. Um, consciously in the moment. And it doesn't help that Chris is like, I don't know what you're doing. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, because I'm on that tiny monitor, <laughs> you know. But he wanted something different than what I was planning. And, you know, I had to adjust on the fly. But you don't argue with Chris Nolan out of respect because he doesn't. He doesn't, he's one of those directors, he doesn't demand respect, he commands respect. He is the hardest working man on the set. He's involved in everything. There is no, you know, assistant doing half his job for him. He isn't taking a break. He never sits down. He never goes to the bathroom. So you just go. He's on Ozempic. What's that? He's on Ozempic. (laughs) That's right. That's what he's on. I was just like, I love this genius guy and like all i want to do is make him happy so we did 14 takes and the next scene we did um we did nine takes of my close-up 
And at the end of it, he came up to me and he said, well, nine takes is better than 14, which is what you did the first time. So, But he's being sarcastic. Oh, yeah. But he's the opposite of, and there was one day where we did a scene and I went up to him and I said, was that good? And he said, you're fishing for compliments. He really doesn't like that. Really? (laughs) So let me ask you this, because I've done this before where I'm on set and he, the director wants something and he's giving me now notes and I don't even understand the notes. Like I'm just going to do another take, but I don't even really get what he's saying. And I feel like if I keep asking him, I don't understand. It's going to make it worse. I'll just do it and see if I get lucky with my abilities. Right. Did you feel like after eight, nine, 10, you're just like, oh, I'm just trying something different. Did you ever look at Killian Murphy and go, well, here we go. Yeah. No, because Chris, you know, Chris has so much brevity in the way he gives notes. He's so specific and so smart about how to get what he wants out of you. I just, I guess I was just in a place of, stuck in what I had been doing for months in the auditioning process. And, and then, you know, what I had planned and um, it also like the literal space that we were in that train car was tiny. IMAX cameras are massive. They're like three times the size. And it was him, his DP Hoyt, Hoyta, Killian literally like, off camera sandwiched up against the wall. And so there's not a lot of like <laughs> mental space, physical it's claustrophobic. space. Yeah. And so I think what I ended up happening was I was very much here and I needed to be very much here. And it took me 14 takes to get there. Uh, it probably took me 10 and he gave me four good ones. Do you go, <laughs> how many did Killian Murphy get? How many takes on that? Yeah. Less. Less. A lot less. Did you go home afterwards and call your wife and say, "I I don't know. I don't. I, yes. I, this could be my my first and last day." Yes, you did. You were that nervous you're going to get fired. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, you know that movie specifically because you look at that cast and you go, "Man, there's some heavy fucking hitters oh, in this cast." Yeah, bro. You know, Downey and Oldman and 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 and. Killian and the list goes on and Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. And you just go, man, I, I can't suck in this. You know, if I had a smaller role, I could kind of suck if I yeah. wanted to well, let him suck but in that scene. I have to like fucking chew this thing up and spit it out. I have to make something of this. And yeah, I was really nervous. I, but everyone was everyone in that movie was kind of like, wow, it was, it's, it's a murderer's row. It's one of the best casts ever. Oh and you know, one of the best ensembles. And it was just a murderer's row, you know. I remember um, Jason Clark came in to do his scenes, and I did my one scene with him. And even he was like a little like, <laughs> and he had a lot had of dialogue too, a lot of dialogue, and he has heavy moments. And you could see that he was up to the challenge and that he was going to nail it. But it came from a place of I better nail it. There wasn't. It wasn't the most laid back environment yeah you gotta step up it's like i i know my lines inside out reverse forward i i don't care if it's two lines i'm gonna know it a million percent plus you're shooting on imax film so it's not like digital where you can do this all day like they're running out of money as you fuck up every time you fuck up it's a big deal yeah and so (laughs) you know it was just uh did they pay you well did you get paid well 
Um, yeah. All right. Yeah. But it was, it was surprising actually. It wasn't bad. Um, good. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you do a show like numbers, I, I, I remember watching numbers and I remember thinking I could never do this. I could never play this part. I could never, I, the words he's saying, the amount of dialogue he has, you're doing how many episodes a year? 22. How much dialogue did you have per episode on average? Uh, a lot, but you know, um, I, 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 it was, it was, it was the job, you know, that was, it was the, the job. job. I mean, but like, l- listen to me. Are you, are you, uh, you have photographic, uh, memory? No, you don't. No. I, I'm maybe on some level I do. How, I mean, how long does it take you to learn your lines? So for numbers, what happened was we started doing the show and, uh, you know, I'd go home, I'd learn the night before, wake up the next morning. And it was such complicated jargon, what I was speaking, that I'd forget it. So I'd be in the shower going, holy crap, I stayed up for three hours straight working on these lines and I can't remember them. And there were days on set where I had like mini crises you know, in the beginning. And two things had to happen. One, I had to stop being afraid of not knowing the lines. My fear of not getting them, you know, you know this, with, with heavy with heavy dialogue, the more afraid you are of not knowing it, the less chance you're going to have to know it. Like, you, you've got to not be afraid. And I was really afraid, so I had to drop that. How do you um, drop then, that? How do you just drop that? Um... I, I came up with a plan, but it, it wasn't a plan that everybody liked. I will say that. I will say that. What was the plan? Okay. So I was like, I went to the producers and I said, the, the, the genius of the character is catching up with the capabilities of the actor. <laughs> and I was like, and I don't want you guys to like rewrite anything because I'm stupid. You know, I don't want you to have to do that. Um, One of the things I asked them to do was they would like give me like a whole long speech. And in the speech, I'd have the same complicated word eight times within that speech. So let's say the word is algorithm. Okay. I'd have to say algorithm eight times within that speech. And the problem, the way that my brain works, at least, is like I'd get to the third algorithm and think it was the sixth. You know what I mean? And skip over a bunch of dialogue as a result. I'd fuck up. Right. So I asked them, I said, if there's any way to not do that, to like, if you know, to reword it, yeah. get, your th- get your thesaurus out and like, what's another word for algorithm? Like, call it a formula, call it call, whatever, you know. Th- and they did. That was really nice. It was the only ask I had. For That's them not to big read. of an ask. No. I would have said cue cards, earwick. <laughs> that's all I asked. Well, so then what I did, I said, and here's the deal. I'm going to come in not knowing them. And they were like, what? And I was like, I'm going to come in not knowing my lines. And they were not happy with that. And I said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to come in. I'm going to not know them at all. I'm then going to spend the 20 minutes that it takes for you to set up the first shot after rehearsal with our script supervisor and if she can't do it we got to get somebody who can anyone who's willing to on set will do it with me 
and I'm going to cram them. I'm just going to cram the shit out of them. Pressure's on. I got 150 people waiting on me to learn these lines. That's how I'm going to learn these lines. And, and so that's how we did it for six years. And, um, and, you know, first takes sucked, you know, it cost a, a couple takes, you know, I would fuck up, but then by the third take, I get it. And what was great about it was you're watching me kind of get it as I'm getting, as I'm performing. And it looks like to the audience, the audience sees a mathematician coming up with the ideas as he's saying, as it, you're thinking of lines, after remembering his lines. So it looks spontaneous. And so it started to work. And I started to make sure that I, you know, first takes were better. Second takes. I, we did, we moved so fast in that show. We ended up doing 10 hour days. Most of the time, um, nine pages in 10 hours. Like we rock, rock that show. And so it got easier for me, got easier for everybody. And then no one cared. Everybody was like, fine, this is the way we're doing it. And this is the Could way you do it now. If Christopher Nolan said, I just wrote a paragraph for you. Can you do it? No way. See on numbers, unfortunately, or fortunately numbers became, you do 22 episodes a year. It becomes monotonous. It becomes a job. Um, I'm not saying that there, you don't keep the work honest or that there isn't passion behind it, but at a certain point, you just go, wow, I got to get the job done. So yeah. I may not be um, cons- as concerned with how I perform this scene as I am with getting the lines right. Right. On a movie with Chris Nolan, with, when any other thing, like I have to know the lines before I show up to set. Like I must know them backwards and forwards. And what I do is I learn them and then I, my, I go into the shower and I recite them backwards. And that's kind of not word by word, but sentence by sentence. I go from the last sentence all the way to the first. And if I can do that, it's just confidence, just knowing like, oh, okay, I did them literally backwards and forwards. And so now I know them. So you and, know them, even when you think you like, I, I pretty much know them. You want to go a, a million percent more of knowing them. Yeah. Cause I don't want to be hindered by the lines. I want to be able to perform. You know what I mean? Like, and the better I know them, the more sort of loosey goosey I can be with my performance, just do weird stuff. And yeah. Crazy. Sh- but when you know them that well, is there ever a point where they go, oh, you know, add this little thing in there? Does that fuck you? Yeah. No, I've been, I got good at that because I've done a lot of multicam sitcoms, a lot of failed multicams. I've done eight failed multicam sitcoms. And when I say failed, I mean, they went to series and never made it, like got canceled before 13 episodes. I've done and- a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they come at you with rewrites, you know, while you're shooting, you know, whatever, new jokes or whatever. And so, yeah, you got to learn that stuff on the fly. So I got good at that. I got good at that. Yeah. Thankfully. You uh, talked briefly, you skimmed over it. You said, you know, you got thyroid cancer and yet, you, you know, the year before or something, you had a mental breakdown. You're like, oh, that's why the thyroid. But when you say mental breakdown, what yeah. happens when you have a mental break? Cause I, cause I, I feel like I've had one as well and I yeah. had to go and get myself, you know, I, I just went through a really tough time and a lot of people out there do a lot of people. Every, I feel like every great actor should have one. Um, <laughs> um, because it really changed everything. Uh, I got married. So basically what happened was my show ended numbers ended. I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know 
what my career was. I got married. And the very next day I flipped the fucking, I flipped out. We made the mistake. I made the mistake. We booked uh, our honeymoon the next morning in St. Bart's. Beautiful place. Except we went during the off season. So everything was closed. And when we got there, uh, the the island had just had like a massive storm. So the internet and TV was knocked out. So here I come from like the most wild, raucous night of my life and this huge momentous occasion. And I find myself in an island in the middle of nowhere where all the stores are closed, all the restaurants are closed. The only food I can get is at the hotel. There's no one at the hotel. Fucking place is empty. And I got like island fever. And that's how the nervous breakdown sort of started. So my so three, three and a half days in, I said to my wife, I said, we got to get out of here. And we had booked an eight day honeymoon and we left. We left my <laughs> much to her parents chagrin. You know, my in-laws were like, what the fuck is going on? And I was like, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. I can't stop panicking. I can't. I have bad anxiety. I cannot stop panicking. The anxiety then turned into really deep, paralyzing depression. I, I became agoraphobic. I couldn't leave the house. And it went on for nine months. It was a full nine months. Right thing. after you get married. And right after my show ends, which was a big successful show. Yeah. So my my wife, God bless her, was just like, who is this person? And you tricked me. You basically, you tricked me. We're married now and you're a mess. How did this happen? And I felt terrible. I felt so bad, you know, and it made things worse, you know, that I had to face her. And I was scared of her. I was like scared of her coming home because I didn't want to be a burden on her. Um, it was really, really intense, really intense time. Um, and uh, I got sober during it. I got, you know, I tried everything I could. You know, I, I wasn't into getting on meds, but then I sort of, sort of, you know, you know, uh, just put, I just realized I was powerless over what was happening. And again, it was all happening mostly because my thyroid wasn't working, but I didn't know that. Um but yeah, I, I became a total recluse, shut in, nervous mess, ball of depression, like scary depression, deep, deep, deep depression for nine months. Did she, did and you think she was going to leave you? No, uh, no. Really? No. What made you feel that way? That she wasn't going to leave right. me? Yeah. Um, she's the most wonderful person on earth. And I knew, and, and she was my motivation to get better. You know, if I was alone or whatever, single, dude, I would have probably maybe even offed myself, to be honest with you. You were that bad. Oh, it was bad. It was really, really bad. I lost my mind. You know, you lose your mind, you know, you, you just, you lose it. And, uh, you know, and friends also, my friends stepping up and sort of going like, Oh, he's not like, you know, I'm a kind of a jokey guy. And it's like, oh, he's not telling jokes anymore. Like, he's like, you know, this is not the guy we knew. He and really is. He really is uninteresting. Yeah. Finally, <laughs> I really was. Finally, is that interesting? Oh, they couldn't be around. I start, I'd be crying all the time. 
You know, it was that bad, you know, and it's serious chemical imbalance. So, you know, um, yeah, it was a tough time, very tough time. I'm glad it's behind me, but I learned so much from it. You know, it was the ultimate fall, you know, it was a huge fall. And two years later, I took her on a proper honeymoon. You know, it was two years later. Where'd you go? We went, we went to Ireland and Scotland and we drank our asses off and had a blast. That's great. We went for weeks and it was awesome. How about that? Yeah. Things work out. I I think that, you know, I've been there. I've been to the darkest of darks and, uh, you know, it's funny because you, you, you do, people have this sort of idea that it's a, you know, when you, you, people who kill themselves, how could they be so selfish? How could they be this? when you get so low to a point, it's like nothing else matters. The only thing that matters is just not being there. It's like, I can't be in my own fucking body. I can't be, it's like this darkness. And I can't even imagine that next step of darkness that, you know, Robin Williams or some, you know, people must've felt that, you know, so I never look at it as like that. I look at it as like, no, they were very sick. They were very, we have no idea where they went. It's not fair to say that. And so you can, uh, you, you could understand that, but what, what got you out of it? What got you out of that? I mean, I know you said the thyroid thing made you go, Oh, that's what it was, but did it sort of go away before the thyroid thing? No, um, it was getting better. I went to a lot of therapy, man. Um, I mean, I, I found myself literally in fetal positions on the floor of therapists offices but they didn't give up on me. No one gave up on me. Um, I reached out to a crisis manager um, because I was in crisis, man. I went to, what did I, what I went to some weird fucking like super weird LA hypnotist thing, you know, brain scan thing. Like I did everything I possibly could. Um, And yeah, meds helped. Meds helped big time, you know, thank God, you know, like, I'm a big proponent of do what you need to do. You know, you don't have to suffer, you know, life. If if you're in a situation where you're suffering and you don't have to, uh, you got to take every route you can to, to alleviate suffering. No one deserves to suffer, especially for prolonged periods of time. You know, there's some suffering that can't be helped, but this this is suffering that can be helped and i was suffering i really was man and uh but you know just a good support system and um and uh and just you know not giving up just sort of not you know i there was part of me that was just like i'm i can't go out like this like i'm not going out like this but i turned down jobs you know i couldn't work i didn't want to travel i was afraid to go anywhere I was afraid of going to, you know, Wood Ranch at the Grove, you know, like I couldn't go to a barbecue, my favorite barbecue restaurant, you know, like it was that. And you're afraid you're going to have a panic attack or you're going to pass out. I was having, I literally, dude, it was like a nine month panic attack. It was kind of the craziest thing ever. I've, I, I, you know, I had the worst panic attack at my 50th birthday. Mm. All my friends were meeting me at a restaurant. And when they had this back room and my friend Tom walked up and I go, I'm having a, a panic attack right now. I can't, I got to go home. I can't do this. And he's mm. like, dude, dude, calm down. You know, it's your birthday or your, it's your friends. It's okay. And I stuck it out. Like I, but I sat in a corner 
of the restaurant where all my friends were talking. Were you there, Ryan? No, uh, Ryan's here. You don't, you don't know Ryan's here anyway. Um, I was, I just, I, I felt like I'm going to pass out. Uh, I, I, it was just so awful. And I just wanted to go to my bed. Oh, you know, I'd wake up and I would just like 30 minutes in, I want to go back to bed. I just wanted the day to go away. It was mm-hmm. fucking disastrous. And I'm, I'm glad, you know, thank God people were patient with me. And I was just, uh, finally the right meds sort of worked for me. And mm-hmm. it it did change my life in a way. Uh, you know, it's definitely changed me in a lot of ways because I think I've I've had this panic panic uh, or this uh, anxiety since I was a child. I didn't even know it. I thought it was just part of me, and it was all the dysfunction right. and all this craziness that was going around that it was just part of me. And I'm like, why am I so why am I so nervous about this? Why am I so nervous about this? Why? And I realized, wow. I thought it was just situational, like, oh, I'm having anxiety, midlife crisis. But I think it, it, it stemmed from years and years of letting this go on. And finally, my body said, stop it. We're not doing this anymore. And it broke yeah. down. It just broke down mentally and physically. So mm-hmm. um, so you started to get better. But, I mean, just to, to, your, to what you're saying, I'm glad you're feeling better. I mean, the thing is, is, like, people really don't. panic uh is exponential right you panic and then you panic that you're panicking yep and then you panic that you panic that you're panicked yeah and it goes on and on and it builds to a point of of complete madness you know um so yeah it's important to like just have people who understand near you you know you know like luckily since i've been in the situation where i know people who where i've been able to help people through those moments of, of their own, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Did you have, uh, do you have any celebrity friends that reached out and tried to help you? <laughs> As a, uh, I'm asking that because, you know, it's like, you know, celebrity friends, but are they really friends? <laughs> yeah. No, no, there were, they were, I had a couple celebrity friends that were worried about me, but didn't do anything. No, right. They didn't. They didn't I was beyond help. Oh man, I, I was beyond help. I, I really, I was, I, I had to do it mostly on my own in a therapist office with a trained professional. You man. know, there was no, there was support. You could give me support and say, Hey, I'm worried about you and anything you need, but there was nothing I could, I couldn't, it was just too much. And it's gone Everything now. Was, you don't get anxiety oh, anymore. I get, you know, every once in a while I get a little tinge of something, um, you know, but yeah, not really, man. It's gone. It's 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 gone. But you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy taught me to like not be afraid of it and to actually welcome it. You know, if I have a panic attack now, I go, okay, I hear you. How bad can you get? You know, let's bring it on. You know, that way I put in a leash on a gnarly dog. You know what I mean? And whether I like it or not, that that dog is mine. I got to raise that dog and fix that dog somehow, you know, stop it from being so gnarly. If I let go of the leash, it's going to go attack somebody, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. I got to hold on to that leash for dear life. And, um, and, and it's mine instead of being afraid of the dog, just owning it, you know, like I own my panic. I own it. It makes it so that when I do have a panic attack, I can just sort of go, Oh, okay. This is happening instead yeah. of freaking out. Did you find, um, 
through all this and then you know the thyroid and you realize oh this is what caused it and you're like oh good this is what caused it all that stuff that nine months was just because of this but along the way with therapy and cognitive behavior and i don't know if you did emdr but whatever you did did you learn a lot about things that maybe have happened in your childhood or things that happened along the way that also just help clear your head more that it was worth yeah. all that absolutely i mean um you know, I, I had to face a lot of stuff, you know, I, I, there was stuff that I had used as motivation for many years. There was stuff that I had used to make me angry. And I thought it was okay to be an angry person, um, and live angry and be bitter. And, you know, um, there was stuff that I had to sort of come to a real acceptance of real peace with. Uh, or else I wasn't going to get out of that, that situation. Wow. And, you know, forgiveness for not only other people, but for myself, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, um, sort of chipping away at the self-involvement, you know, like chipping away at the ego, which had become massive on, at, on some level in a way that, I was, I was, I was a nice guy. I could be your friend, but man, I, I was, I was me, me, me 24 seven. And part of getting married freaked me out because of that. It was like, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm obligated to someone now, you know, it really, and I wasn't, my ego was too big to handle it, you know, and, uh, and I needed to chip away. I really needed to chip away. You know, I'm one of those people that like, I think I, I'm I'm a messiah with an inferiority complex, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like it's, 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 it's all or nothing. And I have to find a middle ground and then having kids has really helped, you know, like, you know, kids will tell you the truth about yourself, yeah. which is that you're ugly, fat, untalented, not that impressive. Uh, <laughs> and it's the best. It's the best medicine, man. It yeah. is. Well, I, I'm glad you went through all that. And, you know, um, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. It's, it's tough face. It's tough admitting to yourself that you have a problem or you have this, you know, cause I, I, I could certainly sit here and say, yeah, I've got an ego. Yeah. I could be completely selfish. Yeah. But, uh, I'm aware of it. And I also could mm -hmm. be very giving and thoughtful and all these things and and those bad parts of me they kind of linger around they're always going to be there and um as long as i'm aware of them and as long as i don't let them get out of hand or make them change me or or you know or you know it's it's for so long i punished myself really like you know you're fucking ugly you're fucking asshole you're a fucking this and i would just you know and now i try to just go hey you're all right, man. You're all right. You're all right. Kid. You're all right, kid. Hey, we got some. This is so awesome, man. This is like you don't understand how this helps so many people and the listeners and the, they're so loyal. And you know, this is this is the stuff that people want to hear. I, I believe. You know, you were um, you were talking about um, you know when Christopher Nolan came up to you many moons ago when you did numbers and goes, "Hey, you're really good in that." Mm -hmm. And um, you also said that. You know, most of the time it's just like, hey, someone liked my work and nothing will ever happen with that. Right. Most likely, most of the time. And that's happened so many times with me where, you know, 
I remember Quentin Tarantino was like, fucking Lex Luthor, I fucking love you, man. I go, you're Quentin Tarantino, I fucking love you. Are you kidding me? And I go, well, I gotta, we got to work together. He goes, oh, yeah, man, for sure, for sure, man. And nothing. You know, I've yeah. had other directors and big, you know, come up to me and nothing, nothing. It's always nothing. It almost never happens. Right. You know, and that's like. I don't know. I just wanted to say that. Does that happen a lot no, to you? I, I, look, it, you know, it's rare when it happens. And then I never expect it to happen again. Like it, it because it's it's super rare. I, I went to dinner one night at a restaurant and Steven Soderbergh was sitting with a couple friends at the table over. Never met him in my life. And he got up, left. And I'm with my wife. We're eating. And the waiter comes over and goes, Steven Soderbergh paid for your meal. I said, what? Someone had paid. I was like, what? And fucking, there was a little note from Steven Soderbergh saying whatever. And I was like, what the fuck? And so I thought, oh, shit, man. He wants to work with me, man, or something. You know, I should send him flowers or something. So we call his office the next day. And he's like, and we're like, hey, you know, like, I was super, that was so sweet. Can I send flowers or something? And they're like, no, he does it for everybody. <laughs> he does it all the time. He buys people oh, dinner left. Oh God. Why'd you say that? <laughs> yeah. It makes you just feel like special. shit. Yeah. yeah. Well, no. What are you gonna do? Yeah. I remember I had yeah. a Golden Globe or not a Golden Globe, fucker. Sorry, it's way way off. A Saturn Award. And I was holding okay. the Saturn Award and with Steven Spielberg. And he was like, Hey, congratulations. That's great. And I go, Yeah, thanks so much. You too. You know, and we took a picture together and we talked for a minute. I was just praying that steven would have been like you're really terrific in that show and I, i'd love to work with you but that never happened yeah like, damn it damn it steven don't you watch smallville <laughs> what's the matter with you um this has been terrific you're so engaging you're so open and i just think this is yeah this i'm a mirror i'm a mirror no, you're you're a great guy. You're a great guy. Who's who's the uh, who's a hey, who's your favorite actor of all time? In terms of quality, quality. Hmm. Mine's Gary Honestly, Oldman. Who is it? Gary, Gary Oldman? Oldman. Yeah, I have a tie. It's a three way tie. Okay. It's Kate Blanchett. It's De Niro, and it's Klaus Kinski. Really? Yeah, those three. Those are that's my holy trinity of acting. I would say Nicholson, uh, very very much up there for me. Gary Oldman, also, and uh, best actress of all time, Meryl Streep. Yeah, Meryl Streep. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all very much up there. Funniest would go to uh, Kristen Wiig, f- f- probably one of the fun. Her and Danny McBride are the two funniest people on the planet to me. Okay, okay. What do you think? All right. I think they're very funny. I, I'm I'm an Eddie Murphy guy all the I way love through. Eddie Murphy and Martin Short. Martin Short. Martin Short. That's good. Oh, always have been like obsessed with those two. Who's the one actor that you met who was one of your favorites, and they couldn't have been better and nicer? Oh wow! Um, and you were like, "Wow, thank God they were cool." Uh, wow, that's a good question. Um, kind of, I got it. Uh, it's a tough one, but, uh, I gotta say 
all the biggest actors, like the biggest names I've worked with have been awesome. You know, Downey's awesome. Clooney's awesome. Brad Pitt's awesome. Uh, yeah, those, those it's three the smaller ones that aren't that great. Right. The ones that aren't as big, maybe you get a little attitude with that. You know, the one, it's not even the smaller ones. It's the ones, it's the big ones that have lasted a really long time. And then you're like, oh, I'm, this is why they lasted. Cause they're nice. Like they're not just talented, but they're super nice. And they make it easy for people to shoot movies with them. And then you go, oh, that's the key is just be like super nice. Who and, is the you know. worst? You can't say it. <laughs> but you have one in your mind, right? You have one in your mind. The worst famous person that I met as a fan. As a fan. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. Okay. Um, I'll tell you a funny story really quick. Okay. And then and then I'll um I'll try to make this quick. I'm 21 or 22 years old. 23 actually. And I get my first lead part in a small indie movie, tiny indie movie. It's going to shoot in New York city. And the producer has us come to her apartment in Tribeca for a table read. And I go to the table read and, you know, we do the reading and the director is like, Hey, stick around after the table read. I want to talk to you specifically about your role. I said, great. I stick around. There's pizza there. And I'm 23 years old. And at the end of our no session, he says, Hey, you want to take the pizza with you? And I'm like, hell yeah. And I walk out of her apartment and directly across the hall with their apart, with his apartment door open, holding his apartment door open is Robert fucking De Niro. Right. And I freeze. Cause I had one week prior just seen raging bull. And I, I felt I froze. I was scared of him. And he slammed the door in my face. And I, I I can't believe what happened. I turn and standing by the elevator in this building are two are his two twin children. He had two, he had twins and they're, they're like four or five at this point, maybe six. And they're standing there and they see that I have pizza and they want the pizza. Right. And I'm like, no, you can't have the pizza. And I'm also super afraid to go knock on De Niro's door and say, hey, you left your kids out here. I assume he knows the kids are out there. Like, I I got to get out of there, man. I just got my the door slammed in my face. I'm scared. And like an idiot, I push the elevator button and the elevator comes and these two get in the elevator. OK, so now Robert De Niro's four or five year old twins are in the elevator of this building. He's in his apartment. If I leave to go knock on his door to tell him the elevator door closes, they go downstairs. So I'm stuck with his twins. I go into the elevator with them. I say, here's what's going to happen. They're like, can we have the pizza? I'm like, no, I'm not going to touch them. I'm not going to force them, physically force them out. So I'm like, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go down to the lobby. I'm going to press your floor and you go right back up and you go home. Okay. So we go down the lobby. I press their floor. Lobby door closes, 22-year-old, 23-year-old stupid me is like, okay, I did it. Get out of here. Go home. A few years ago, Tribeca Film Festival, I'm a juror. They have this luncheon. Aaron Rodgers is there. And there's Robert De Niro. And I think, you know, I'm going to tell Robert De Niro this story. <laughs> so I go up to Robert De Niro and I say, hey, Mr. De Niro, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry to bother you. My name's Dave. And uh I'm just, I just want to let you know I'm a huge fan of yours. And I just want to tell you a funny story. And I tell him the story I just told you. And he laughs. He laughs. Thank God. He's not pissed. He laughs. 
yeah, his kids are okay. They're grown up. Nothing ever happened. I go, they, they, they announce, Hey, okay, everybody. Now we're all going to go upstairs and, uh, and deliberate on our films. I said, great. I go to the elevator to go upstairs to this room where I'm going to deliberate with Aaron Rodgers and whatever, waiting for the elevator. And Robert De Niro comes and stands next to me waiting for the same elevator. And like an idiot, I turn to him. I go, well, you'll be the third De Niro I ride an elevator with and start laughing. And he goes, I'm going to take the stairs. And he did. Oh, my God. I'm going to take the stairs. I'm going to take the stairs. And boom. Took the stairs. And that was it. 75-year-old man took the stairs. You should have said, I hope you fall down them. <laughs> you old fuck. Yeah. That's that's so, you know, I mean, what a shame. You think he would have been yeah. like hey, funny. Maybe you're funny. That's good. But no. Yeah, you, I thought that's what I was gonna get. Oh, hey, yeah, back oh, with God. Gosh. No. Well, I wish we went out on a on a on a good note, but that's a sad a sad. No, it's great. I love that story. That's fucking fantastic. Uh, well, don't always meet your heroes. Uh, yeah. I love you, buddy. This has been great. I'll let you know when it airs. I, I couldn't have had more fun. Uh, this is this is awesome. This is exactly what I was hoping for. You too, brother man. I'll see you soon. All right. Great guy. You know, someone who's been around, someone who's worked, someone who's been through up and downs ups and downs mm-hmm. um yeah i really enjoyed this i really enjoyed him i just he's such a likable person and innately good good soul i could always see that i could see through bullshit the i've been sitting here talking to 300 plus guests and i gotta tell you that i can see through people pretty easily within the first 20 minutes i kind of get it hmm. I'm like i know I, I know what's going on Hmm. and they you know you can hide things to a point and i don't try to pry things out of people i don't you know but just having candid conversation and most people are genuinely good and have something to share and he was one of them so thank you um if you missed the intro and you fast forwarded make sure you roll back <laughs> uh Okay, why don't we get to the top-tier patrons? If you don't know what a patron is, they're uh, patrons of the podcast. They go to patreon.com slash inside of you, and you become a patron. And one of the perks is these people get their names shouted out at the end of every episode, and I couldn't do it without them. So if I overemphasize one name, it doesn't mean they're just not as important as any other name, but they are. No, (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, Let's do this. These are the top-tier patrons. I love you. Nancy D, Leah and Kristen, little Lisa, Yukiko. Leah, by the way, uh, I ate all those. Stop. You know, I'm just going to, can I just like give you money instead of getting Girl Scout cookies? Because I torture myself. I eat so much and it's so bad for me. So next time, just say, hey, you know, just invoice me and I'll just give you the money. I don't, I don't feel like I can't eat that stuff anymore. It's so good. And I just want to bury myself in it. <laughs> Little Lisa, thank you for the this shirt I'm wearing right now, Hockey Night in Canada. Little Lisa got me that. I love it. That's cool. It's it on is. brand for you. Right? Yeah. I'm watching hockey right after this uh-huh. when this is over. So we got to. And it's a little Jason mask, too. Yeah. It's a little Jason mask that's sitting next to you. Ah. Uh, Yukiko, love you, Yukiko. You have supported this podcast for so long and you're so far away, but you're right here with me uh jill e you've been around you've been around 
thank you for all the love. And Brian Hinnenkamp, gosh, I'm going to the Depeche Mode thing. Nico P, Robert B, Jason W, Sophie M, Raj C. Sophie, I just saw you in Rhode Island. Joshua D, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jamal F, Janelle B, just saw Janelle, Mike E, Eldon Supremo, 99 more, Santiago M, the statue maker. He's so supportive. I love I love that guy. Want to read some? Leanne P, Chad W, hi. Hi, hi guys. Maddie S, Belinda N, Dave H, Sheila wait, G. Wait, 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 Dave oh, who? No. Dave, Dave H, Dave who? Dave Hall. It's only Dave of oh, Dave Hall. I love Dave Hall. He's so relaxed. He just talks like this. It's only Dave Hall. Isn't Reminds it? me of like a Gary Oldman. It's only Dave Hall, isn't it? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Talia M, Betsy D, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Brandy D, Joey M, Eugene and Leah. <clears throat> all right. That was good. That was one breath. Eugene and Leah. Yeah. And Betsy D. I haven't, I haven't heard from Betsy D. in a while. And Ray Harada, got to have another concert. Yeah, got to come to the concert. Sunspin's going to be playing soon in December, so I hope everybody turns out and comes to the show. We don't do as many shows as we used to, so please support. Uh, if you go to sunspin.com, you could, you know, you guys will know when we're playing. Corey, Angela F., Mel S., Christine S., Eric H., Shane R., Andrew, Andrew M., Andrew M., Amanda R., Kevin E, Stephanie K, Jarrell, Jam and J, Leanne J. I feel like I know these people. I do. Luna R, Mike F, Stonehenge, Brian L, Jules M, Kendall L, Jessica B, Kyle F, Marisol P, Kaylee J, Brian A, Ashley F, Marion Louise L, Romeo the Band, Frank B, Jen T. I'll just read the rest. I got, of I got lost. Nikki L, April R. Hi, guys. How are you, ladies? Randy S. JDW. Sounds like JDW and Associates. Oral P. Remember Oral B? That still exists? Yeah, and he's Oral P. Oral? Or it could be Oral. Oral? Rachel D., Melissa H., Nick W., Stephanie, and Evan, and Charlene A. Couldn't do the show without you guys. I really appreciate you. And uh, thank you for being here. I am Michael Rosenbaum from the Hollywood Hills in California. I'm Brian Taze. I'm here, too. Yes, little wave be good to yourself and you're good enough just remember that right ryan you are good enough yes you too welcome to talkville the ultimate smallville rewatch podcast guest star sarah carter as alicia baker although i didn't really work with her a lot but tom did and they had some real big smoochy scenes yeah can we talk about that could there be any more sex what was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going good lord we get it they have chemistry jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of talkville on youtube or wherever you listen